Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. All right. Go ahead and find your seat. It's good to have you here with us again today. Um, we're continuing a sermon series that we started last Sunday called Christ Our King. And we're reflecting on aspects of Jesus' royalty, his kingship, uh, that are leading us up to Easter, to, to Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter in this season called Lent. Uh, this was a, a, a thing that became a practice in the church uh, going all the way back to the early church to prepare for the Easter season and Holy Week. And so we're taking time to just reflect on who Jesus is and various uh, aspects of his nature. Last time we talked about his humanity uh, and, and some of the core things that he struggled with as a human, like from his testing and temptation, and how it's no different than what we struggle with and how Jesus has ultimate victory over all of that and we can walk in that victory. And today um, we're going to talk about Christ's power and authority. So if you have a Bible, you want to read along with me, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, and we're going to uh, read from there. Uh, well, right now, let's read from it now. Verse 1, Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. And some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, That's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you have such evil thoughts in your heart? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up and went home. Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen, and they praised God for giving humans such authority. Let's pray before we continue. Jesus, I just ask as we look at your power and authority today that that you would, uh, God, I I don't want to be just inspired. I I don't want to feel good after this. I I, want to feel like I've, even me personally, Jesus, that I'm I'm walking away with uh, something new in my tool belt to follow you with. And so, Jesus, I ask today for everyone in this room that there would be something that we grab a hold of about your power and authority that we're able to just walk with in our lives immediately. I just pray for a, a, a quickening uh, of, of this information, God, that it wouldn't just be information, that it would shift into our heart and into our practice in a way that we've never seen something do before. In Jesus' name, amen. So we just read a story of Jesus uh, healing a paralyzed man. There's, there's other accounts that are the same story, uh, less condensed. Remember the, the friends who bring him up on the roof and they rip the, the roof apart and they lower him down? It's the same story. It's just condensed down a bit. Um, Harper, my daughter, started this game where she wants to play rip the roof off. 
because we read this Bible story a lot. And so we have to, someone has to get lowered down through the roof, either me or her or one of her dolls. And we just rip, like we pretend the carpet in her room is the floor and we just pretend we're ripping shingles off of it. She's a weird kid, um, but that's okay. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I actually love it that she like is so into that story and like she, this narrative for her is so important and that Jesus heals in the end. Um, so in this chapter, Matthew 9, uh, there's some really interesting things that Matthew points out. He starts with this and he ends with this, this statement about people being in awe and even a little bit afraid that God would give such authority over paralysis to a human being like Jesus. Remember, Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. And when he's operating in his ministry on earth, he's operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's not doing all these things. Well, Jesus is God. Of course he can do that. He's operating in his spirit-empowered humanity. This is where Philippians 2, Paul, Paul says that when Jesus didn't consider equality with God something that he should attain to. He, he emptied himself and became like a person, like a human. But he's a person who's ideal because he always followed the Holy Spirit, always in step with what the Father was doing, and we see that through how powerful his earthly ministry was. So in Matthew 9, Jesus does this uh, thing where he, he helps a, par- a paralyzed man walk, and then a few other things happen. There's a synagogue uh, leader who... Uh, his daughter is raised from the dead, and on his way to doing that, uh, there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, and she's like, if I could just touch his, his robe, I'll be healed. What faith? And she, she touched his robe, and he felt power leave his body, the story says, and she was instantly healed. And so those two things happen in this, in this chapter in Matthew 9. And then immediately after he leaves the synagogue leader's house from raising Uh, his daughter from the dead, there's these two blind men there begging him to heal them, and he heals these two blind men. And and these are pretty uh, spectacular miracles in the sense that uh, blindness was a a particularly um, looked down upon uh, uh, sickness or disease because you must have sinned in some way for this to happen, and it's probably not something that you'll recover from. Uh, Someone dying, it wasn't really something that you heard a lot of, of people raising people from the dead. Uh, that's pretty unique, shall we say. Uh, and, and so there's some pretty amazing things that happened. And then this woman doesn't even pray for her. She just touches Jesus' robe and she's healed. So there's some incredible de- uh, displays of Jesus' power in Matthew chapter 9. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, and, and you can probably think of other stories. You might have a favorite story of, of this. Uh, but there's another thing that's mentioned, and it's Jesus' authority. You notice at the end of Matthew chapter, or in verse 8 that we read, it, it doesn't say they were amazed that God would give such power to humans. It says it's amazing that he gave such authority to humans. And so Jesus is operating in all of these things in power, but he's also doing it with authority. That's why we're not just talking about Jesus' power. We're talking about Jesus' power and authority. All right, what is the difference and why does it matter? Uh, I just want you to picture uh, a traffic cop in New York City or, or somewhere else, right? This is a great uh, example of power and authority working together. Um, imagine how many of you go to uh, a stop, a four-way stop, and there's a, a traffic cop there, and, and they're directing traffic, but instead of just holding up their hand, how many of them reach for their gun and start firing in your general direction to get you to stop? Jersey, you're lying. No, they don't do that, do they? 
what do they need to do to get you to stop? Now, if you and I walked out into the middle of the street and we held up our hands, maybe someone would stop, but that's more because they don't want to get uh, a ticket for hitting a pedestrian or worse, right? But that's not why you and I stop when a police officer holds up their hand, is it? Why do we stop? What? Authority. See, the the best way to picture this power and authority thing working together is, is the gun is the police officer's power, if you will. They have a power that can stop you in your tracks. Fair? Probably wouldn't be good to use it, but they have that power. But often, they don't need to resort to that. They simply walk in their authority that they get from their badge from the town of whatever police department they're a part of. And that badge says, I can hold up my hand and you have to stop. And so this is the kind of thing we're talking about when we're talking about Jesus, is Jesus had both power. He had, the the Greek word that's used for power is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite from. That's power, right? It's explosive. Blind eyes get open. Dead people are raised. But the people aren't particularly amazed only with, uh, with his power. They're amazed with his authority. They're saying, who gives you the right to heal this per- or forgive this person's sins? And then to prove that he had authority to forgive the sins, he, he has him walk. It's basically saying, who are you to tell me? How many of you have ever heard that? You're not the boss of me. That's like a classic sibling argument or like friend argument. You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. Jesus had authority, spiritual authority, to be able to tell every sickness to leave, every demon to be cast out, and every dead person to come back to life. Think about that authority. Think about the the badge, if you will, the spiritual badge of the office that Jesus walked in. He, He had immense power, but he was able to do everything he did because of his authority. So I just want to unpack with you today power and authority in the context of Jesus. So let's talk about power first. Uh, Jesus, like I said, he showed power when he healed people, when he raised the dead, cast out demons. There were displays of his power, his dunamis, often. Now, this is not something that's talked about much in the evangelical church in the 21st century, having power. How many of you spend a lot of time thinking about the power that you have, biblically speaking, or that Jesus had, biblically speaking. Most of us uh, consign any kind of someone getting healed from sickness or something happening like that as being, there's an M word we like to use, miracle. It's a miracle. Now, if you've noticed, maybe you haven't noticed, I don't use that word and I don't particularly like that word. I have a problem with it, actually. I'm not gonna get too nerdy and... Uh, get on my soapbox, but here's my problem with the word. The word comes from a a, a more modern, uh, kind of medieval or modern worldview that pictured us being here in the physical world and God being way over here in the spiritual world. And every once in a while, if we had enough faith, if we prayed hard enough and were faithful enough, God would reach out of that world into this world and bing, 
solve the problem, heal the sickness, whatever it is. You, you guys hear what I'm saying? And, and that tends to be, if you think about it, this was my own experience. I'm a, my dad's a pastor, and, and I was raised in church, and this is how I thought about it, too. There were miracles. Let's pray for a miracle. It's in our common language, right? Uh, and I don't get too picky when someone says that. I get what they mean. But we have to rethink what the worldview is around using that kind of language. God's way over there, and we're way over here, and hopefully he will intervene and do something. Now, some of us might feel like that gap's a little bit closer than others, but that language tends to imply that. Are you all with me? Okay. But here's, here's why it gets like this. We live in what's called Western civilization, and Western civilization's really funny like that. We like to separate spiritual and what we call natural, Right? They, they either, one is measurable, it's, it's observable, it's scientific in a lot of ways, and the other one is unexplainable, sometimes it's eerie or creepy or mysterious, and it's way over there. Um, and, and this is the great uh, example of this that I like to use from a friend of mine is, is Scooby-Doo. You love the show Scooby-Doo, right? I've, I've shared this example before, it's so helpful. Scooby-Doo, the original Scooby-Doo, Whenever there was a, a ghost or some kind of monster or something like that, it was never actually a ghost or a monster, right? And, and the worldview that you were being taught through Scooby-Doo was behind every apparently spiritual or supernatural phenomenon, there's a very natural, logical, rational explanation. It's just the gardener trying to scare everyone so he can keep the house for himself or whatever it was. And then that, you know, that dog and those kids would always come in and mess his plans up. But when they redid the Scooby-Doo show in more recent times, has anyone watched newer versions of the Scooby-Doo show that are not from the 60s, 70s? Sometimes when they encounter some kind of haunted house or some kind of being or something like that, there's not always a rational explanation at the end of it. Worldview has changed. There is an increase in occult and witchcraft activity in the United States over the last 20 years. Um, it's actually larger than some Presbyterian church denominations now. So worldview has shifted. Now, we don't want to just say, well, because the worldview's shifted, the, the truth and the reality of how the world really works has shifted. No, people are recapturing and understanding that the spiritual, or what I like to call the seen world and the unseen world, are not actually that far apart. And this is how Jesus operated. He was communing and with the Father, led by the Holy Spirit. This is the unseen world, right? Constantly. He was so aware of their presence and their actions and activity. It was constant. It wasn't once in a while God was going to do something and show up. Think about some of the passages where it says everyone that came to him uh, that had a sickness, all were healed. Now, that's not a once in a, a blue moon intervention. That's something different entirely, right? And so this is how most of the world operates. I have a friend, a group of friends I used to play pickup soccer with before we moved up to West Milford. And we were out one night just getting together, hanging out. And one of them is Irish Catholic background. Another one is Ecuadorian. Another one is Indian, and like from India. And we're sitting there talking, and my red-haired Irish Catholic friend he says to me, he's like, hey, you're a pastor. I got a question for you. My, my wife's cousin's going to this ministry school and they're teaching her how to pray for people to like get healed from being sick. And he's like, I don't think she's qualified to do that. 
Like, she shouldn't be doing that. Like, I mean, you're a pastor, maybe you could do that, but I don't think she should be doing that. And I just began to talk to him about how, like, the Western worldview has led us to believe that, like, that's, like, very foreign. Uh, but, but that whole kind of rational worldview is like a 500-year blip in the course of human history that only exists in the West. Before that, after that, and everywhere else in the world, they're pretty uh, comfortable with both a seen and unseen world kind of just always existing alongside of each other. Uh, my friend who is Ecuadorian said, yeah, when, and I didn't know this at the time and I heard this story, uh, my, my brother who's born with a heart issue. And before he went to the hospital, they took him to the shaman to, to be like healed and prayed over. And, and they, did, they did both, like Western medicine and, and, and uh, indigenous like healing spiritual practices. Uh, and then my friend who was uh, Indian there, he's like, oh yeah, he's like, people are going to the witch doctor all the time, like back home in Calcutta or in, in, in Bombay, like any, any city in India, they're all doing these things all the time, as well as like going to get their Tylenol when they got a headache. So the rest of the world is very comfortable with these things existing simultaneously. And this is actually much closer to the worldview of the Bible. You begin to read through, and especially you read some of the prophets talking about how some of the kings of these nations need to be torn down. And then you start reading and you're like, wait, are we still talking about a human king? Because this sounds a little bit like Satan or something that you're describing now too. And, and, and you be, or, or like some kind of demonic power or something. And, and you'd see really quickly that a lot of times uh, these things are both at work at the same time. Evil worldly power and evil spiritual power are kind of coexisting. A lot of times people who are suffering from uh, demonic issues don't just have demonic issues, they might have a sin issue or, or they have generational issues and baggage that they're dealing with. There's all kinds of things like this, but in the West, because we've kind of been shaped to just look for the rational answer, rational solution, we've removed this whole group of things that's supposed to be biblical in how we look at it. Now, we don't handle it the way other cultures and other civilizations do, right? We're called to a biblical way of walking through spiritual issues and power. So it looks different, but the way the world outside of the Western world and outside of this modern time, uh, the way that the rest of the world operates is a really helpful step for us to understand how the world might actually work. Is this helpful? Are you guys with me? So I just want to talk to you about that first when we talk about power. Uh, you know, I, I uh, had a professor that, I might have shared this story before too, but it's so powerful. I had a professor who, who planted a church, and, and um, he, this, this former witch became a Christian. She got baptized, and, and she shared this story one, one time with them uh, that when she was a witch, she would be terrified. She'd see, because she could see different kinds of spiritual power on people. And she saw these people that she kept running across and she was terrified of them. She could see they had immense spiritual power. And, and one of her people or whatever taught her, oh, don't worry about them. Those are Christians. They don't actually know what kind of power they have. We'll get to authority in a minute. They didn't know how to operate in the authority they had. But you have to understand when it says Christ in you, the hope of glory, that's not a joke. When it says the power of Jesus living in you, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you, it, it's not a joke. It's real power. It's real dunamis. And, and so what kind of spiritual power might we be leaving on the table that Jesus is wanting us to walk in? 
What kind of spiritual issues are there in your neighborhood, in your community, in your workplace? What kind of spiritual issues are there in your own life, in your family? And you keep trying to find the rational solution for them when it's actually a supernatural or a spiritual solution that's needed. There's probably a lot more of those that happen. I had friends at a church once, and they were having the church was having incredible financial difficulty, and they, they went back into the kind of the, the business, the board minutes and stuff uh, of things that had gone on in the church, and, and they found that there was a, a commitment made basically to be very greedy. I, I don't remember the exact way it was outlined, but they, they decided they were going to give less to missions to make sure that they were safe. And, and that was something that they did had spiritual ramifications on, on God actually cutting off the flow of provision to them. This is what he says in, in Micah, test me in this, in, in giving. See if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven and bless you. And when we withhold, it's like the Dead Sea in the, in the Holy Land, right? It just becomes dead. Nothing can get out. There's no outflow. And so that's what happened. So they recognized this, and this was totally different people years and years before any of the board or leadership was there. They got together, and they prayed. This was a spiritual issue, not a we need to, like, figure out how to manage our finances better. And within, like, weeks, they saw their giving, like, just shoot up like crazy. They repented. They confessed it as if it was their own sin. They made changes to how they operated and did things in order to put money into a different direction, and God changed it. What kind of spiritual power are we leaving on the table? So that's what we mean when we talk about power. Jesus displayed power. But that's not the only thing he displayed. He displayed authority. And this is what I really want to, to focus on for a couple minutes. People aren't amazed by the power. They're amazed by his authority. They're not amazed by the fact that he carried a gun, so to speak. They're amazed by the badge. Who gave you that? By what right are you forgiving sins? Where is this come? Where are you from? Who are you connected to? And that gives us a really important clue about authority and what's going on. So let me give you a brief overview of authority in the scriptures before we jump to that, though. When God created, you know me, I love to bring everything back to Genesis, to our origins, right? When God created humans, what did he give them as an instruction? Subdue the earth, multiply, make this whole earth, this beautiful garden oasis. He gave them authority over the earth. That was our job. He's saying, hey, I got it started. Here you go. Go, go make this place beautiful, multiply, create culture, all, the, all these kinds of things are happening in, in that little passage when he says subdue the earth to, to multiply. You have authority to explore, grow things, explore how all this stuff works that I made, name the animals, right? Go ahead, you name them. I'm not going to name them, you name them. Think about the authority that's given there. And here's what happened though. We were to trust God, use his wisdom to accomplish this mission, but here's what happened. We decided that maybe God was withholding from us. Why, why can't we eat from that tree? What's God doing? Is he trying to trick us? Hmm. How, how am I going to accomplish this if I don't have all the knowledge I need? Maybe I need some of that fruit from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And what we decided to do in that moment, and this is where the enemy comes in, is the enemy deceived 
and taught humans to trust in their own strength, pursue their own wisdom instead of God's wisdom. This is the basic struggle we all deal with like every day, isn't it, right? Am I gonna do this my way or am I gonna do this God's way? I get to choose. Which choice am I gonna make? And there's like millions of choices every day we make, don't we? To do one or the other. But this is important. That, that everyday decision of am I gonna do this my way or God's way is actually a question of whose authority are you going to live under? Because when you choose the enemy's way, like Adam and Eve first did, what you actually do is you give your authority over to the enemy. And so at that moment, Satan had authority over humanity. And he continued to have authority over humanity. This is why when we talked last week about Jesus being tempted and and Satan brings him to this high mountain so he can see all the kingdoms of the world. And he's like, Satan says, I'll give you all of this. He actually had a right to give him all of that because all of the human authority that God had given him had been handed over. Now you say, hold on, isn't God in charge? Yes, God's still in charge, but God's not a control freak. Seriously, you think about this. He walks with delegated authority all the time. He's got people that he sends to do. He's got angels he sends to do things. He's got humans that he sends to do things. And if those humans fail, he doesn't go pick up the slack. He says, well, you gotta do it. I asked you to do that. That's like really healthy, empowering leadership in any kind of business or organization or anything that we'd think of, right? Like, oh, I'm not gonna step in and do that for you. And it's the same thing God did. So God needed a human to defeat the enemy and win back authority. Surprise, Jesus. Fully God, but fully human. And in his total obedience and following God's wisdom, died on the cross, and God vindicated that death. He showed and proved that this is my guy by raising him from the dead. And then what does Jesus say after that when he's commissioning his disciples to make disciples? All what? Authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples. I'm in charge again now. My dad gave me the badge. But before that, he was still walking in that authority because he remained surrendered to the Father and to the Holy Spirit the entire time. And this is what this all comes down to, as I mentioned before. Who sent you? Who gave you that badge? What right do you have to come in here and do what you're doing? I only do what I see my Father doing, is what Jesus' response one time in John is. I only do what I see my father doing. They're amazed by their authority. We lost our authority, but Jesus showed us that the path to walking in authority is to walk in intimacy with the father. There's a story of when uh, Jesus comes down from uh, the mountain. He'd just been transfigured, right? You know, remember this? We, I think we preached on this recently. And he comes down the mountain right after that. And some of his disciples are there, and they're trying to cast this demon out. There's this demon that's really that's trying to kill this kid, throwing him into fire, making him convulse, all this stuff. And his disciples are like, we've done this already once before because they had done this already. He'd sent them to cast out demons and heal the sick and they were amazed that that was working, that they were even obeying them when they said, get out of here. But this demon, for some reason, they can't get rid of. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. What he was not saying is you need to pray and fast before this demon will come out because what did Jesus do? He just said, get out of here. His point about prayer and fasting was you lack the intimacy with God that's required 
to have enough authority to get rid of this demon. You don't lack the power. The power is just all there. But you've got to upgrade your badge. You've got to walk in an intimacy to be given that kind of authority. It requires that we seek God in a new way. Pray fast. I, I, I have a, a mentor friend of mine who, like, tirelessly, if he hit a wall when he's trying to cast a demon out or see someone healed, and he's really humble about it. He's like, I have no clue what to do. And he's like, let's go ask God. I'll take two days to pray and fast. You take two days to pray and fast. We'll come back together and see what God tells us. And he said, every time I would get a new key to the kingdom, is how he put it. Every time God would give someone the answer, the solution, and it would be like a new bit of wisdom, but he didn't go try and find it on his own. He sought God and depended on God and became closer to God, and God would give him a new level of authority and new kind of wisdom and new kind of insight. So then when he comes up against those kinds of issues again, he doesn't need to go do prayer time for that again. He's just, oh, it's this thing. We can just get rid of that. Are you guys with me? So if we're supposed to be like Jesus, we've got to walk in that same kind of authority and power. Just like Jesus walked in intimacy and sought God. Man, think of the scriptures where it talks about Jesus was ministering to people. All these people get healed, especially in Mark's gospel. And then the very next line is, the next morning, really early, Jesus was probably exhausted. Really early, probably like three, four in the morning, this time frame is, based on the wording used there. He gets up to go be alone and be with the Father. The source of authority comes from the presence of God. You can't control people into authority. You can't, like, woo people. You can't give nice words. Even Paul says, I didn't come with wise, persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power. It was walking in authority that changed lives. Walking in authority that made the difference. We have to realize that if we're called to be like Jesus, to make disciples, part of that includes operating in power and authority. Jesus even said, go out, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. A friend of mine says that if we know this, if this is true, if this is what we're supposed to be walking in and we don't help those who are sick, who are demonized, and who are dying, he said it is cosmic treason to do anything but step in and help them. And listen, we're starting from like, ah, I don't know what to do. That's great. That's a good place to start. Be humble about it. Be honest. But don't back away from that. This is who you are. People are going to be like, hey, who gives you the right? Whose badge are you wearing? Now, two quick things on this. Authority in the church has tended to be messed with inappropriately in two ways. One, uh, we either retreat from the world, meaning we're just going to have nothing to do with them, or we try and take over the world. Listen, you're going to follow my rules. Here's how it's going to go. I'm going to legislate this to you. But we're called to be like leaven worked into the dough. 
It's all throughout. You can't really tell it's there, but then that bread starts to rise, and you go, oh, the leaven's here. That's how we're supposed to operate in authority. Don't run from people. Don't control people. But when you operate in real spiritual authority, it's the presence of God. It's, it's the very like, essence of Jesus being given to people himself. Jesus himself showing up and changing people's lives. No one wants to resist that. Right? Did you want to resist it when you met Jesus? Maybe on a bad day you did, but I did too. I get it. But So a couple things, and we're going to ask, reflect on this question for a minute as we close. So at the end of chapter 9, all these powerful examples of Jesus walking in power, authority. It's amazing. Look at what he's doing. Then he does this. After all of those miracles, he says, there's a huge harvest out there. There's not that many workers. What are we going to do about that? The very beginning of chapter 10. Remember, those, those chapter and verse numbers are not inspired. Those were put there to help us kind of keep track of things. So you just got to think of this was one flowing story. What are we going to do? There's not enough workers. Just heal. I've seen all these people healed, walked in power, authority, but there's more people that need help. And he calls the 12 together, he says. And he gives them authority to heal the sick cast out demons. And he says, I'm sending you, just like I've been sent. I'm sending you. And he's sending you, just like he's been sent. He's sending you here today to walk in his power and in his authority. That's part of the proclamation of the gospel when we're meeting people where they're at. When we're coming to people and we're telling them about Jesus, it's actually more like show and tell. We're not just supposed to tell people about Jesus. That's what Paul said. I didn't just come with wise, persuasive words. I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Hear me, it's not showing off either. When we, we become surrendered enough to Jesus that we're walking in his authority, there's nothing in us that's really interested in showing off or making it about us. So don't be afraid of this. but this is what's going to help people, man. Some of us have, I shared a couple weeks ago, West Milford has a huge battle right now. Our community has a huge battle against mental health issues, right? Huge battle. Now, I'm not saying people aren't going to need to go to therapy and there's clinical things that need to be done. Those are good. We need those. I'm not saying abandon that. We, We can do a both and. But sometimes these things are also supercharged demonically. We gotta kick those critters out. Right? Some people are sick unnecessarily. What are you doing to help them? Or are you just watching? That's a hard one, I know. But but really, what are we doing? If we're not doing anything, again, let's all go to brunch instead. But really. You have been given power of Christ himself, his power and authority alive in you. He's made a way for you to know him so deeply that you can walk in all the authority that you need to accomplish everything he's put in front of you. He's sending you to walk in his power and authority. He's sending you 
Think about how that's going to change someone's lives. People with chronic illnesses, chronic pain, night terrors that they just don't know how to get rid of. I had a friend who um, his kid was, his son was um, just having these night terrors. He was a Christian, so I just explained to him about his spiritual authority. Like, go, go in your son's room tonight. Tell whatever's there, like, it's not allowed to be here in Jesus' name. He never had another night terror. It wasn't because I gave some sound advice or he said the words correctly. He walked in the power and authority that Jesus has made available to him because he's a disciple of Jesus. We are in a world today that needs two things more than ever before. It's a world, one, that actually doesn't know that they're sinners. Anything goes, right? But Jesus didn't just come to save our sins. He came to heal our brokenness. And it doesn't take much for anyone in this world to recognize that they're broken. There's a lot of songs on the radio about how broken the person is singing it. People know they're broken. They don't realize it's connected to a whole bigger issue. And they don't realize there's someone who can put an end to the brokenness. How many people are broken in West Milford? They're maybe not sinners looking for a savior, but they're broken people looking for a healer. Guess what? Jesus is that too. Jesus is that too. So how is God challenging you or inviting you to walk in his power and authority today? Maybe you've just, you're going through a worldview shift right now and you've just got to start operating out of a more biblical worldview when it comes to this stuff. That this is like a normal thing. Maybe, maybe you're, you're having an authority issue in the sense that you know, you, you've got to deepen your relationship with God. You've got to become more surrendered. Maybe there's undealt with sin. That can really mess with your authority. There's something you've, you've given ground over to the enemy. And they're, they're influencing you in a way they don't need to be. Confess your sin, repent. Maybe it's just a season of prayer and fasting about a particular need that you've been crying out to God for. But I really believe that God wants to, you, you, the power's there. You've got to just kind of re, reframe your thinking to understand that because he's given you the Holy Spirit. There's no question about that. But my question to you today is, do you want to upgrade your badge? Do you want that badge to carry more weight so when you say enough, it's done? There's a huge cost to that kind of authority. There's a massive, think about Jesus' surrender to even death on a cross. That's the level of cost we're talking sometimes. Are you willing to walk where Jesus has walked? Are you willing to obey to the level he's obeyed? That's the places that he's calling us to go to grow in authority. But when you do those things, don't leave your authority on the table. Don't leave the power he's given you on the table. People need your help. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.